0: when you are dealing with a guest, for example, that has a concern or an issue, to me, it gets back to listening to learn versus listening to respond, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that as I would hear the same complaint over and over again, I would listen just to respond. I would just be waiting for that guest to stop talking so that I could tell them exactly what I had told the last 10 guests or whatever it was. Right. But when I really listened, started to learn to listen to learn, and I listened more with an open mind, and I was actually taking in what they were saying. I wasn't solving the wrong problem, which I had been in the past, right? Um, I was actually taking in everything of that situation, maybe asking some clarifying questions so that I could figure out what truly is the issue, so I could figure out truly what is the right solution.
1: Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat
0: with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry.
1: I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller.
0: I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement.
1: Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going?
0: It's fantastic, Josh. How are you? Good. What's so funny? I don't know. You started laughing when you, uh, when you
1: said hello, and I don't know, it got me laughing. I don't know why. You know, we just have a good time here on the Attraction <laughs> Pros Podcast. I think. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. Question for you. Okay. What is, or have you ever even calculated this? What is the longest amount of time that you have gone without riding a roller coaster? And and this doesn't include like as a child, this is like from the time that you started liking roller coasters.
0: Right. Right. I would have to say, you know, I, I hadn't calculated it, but, um, Last year, during um, 2020, during the, the the height of the COVID pandemic, um, I was supposed to go on the big 2020 CNC Coaster NerdCon trip, and um, that got canceled, but I was still able to ride the Legend at Arnold's Park in Iowa, so that kind of um, ended my drought, but it wasn't until, so it's probably been a year. So 365 days, I would imagine somewhere in there, but I know your drought has been a little bit longer. It is
1: north of 500 days. So as of this recording, I have not been on a roller coaster since February 28th, 2020. And that was West Coaster at Pacific Park at the Santa Monica Pier. You know, I wrote it because I was, I was out there and you know, i have been on it before and I mean, it's, it's a fun ride, right? I mean, it's, it's nothing really to, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great ride. It's not the the biggest, the fastest, anything. I never would I have imagined that that would have been the last roller coaster I rode before the pandemic. Now, by the time this airs, you know, I've, I've got a, a trip to Cedar Point planned. I've got a trip to Six Flags Great America planned. So the, the drought, it's coming to an end soon but uh, it, yeah, i yeah i calculated it a couple of days ago and I was just like how many days since february 28th 2020 it was <laughs> 500 days yeah but this episode is not to talk about my roller coaster drought it's to talk about your recent roller coaster trip cnc coaster nerdcon 2021 that's right this is a nerd out episode where we get to talk about roller coasters for one full hour right exactly
0: roller coasters and theme park operations and guest experience and you know dare i say there might be a life lesson or there or two in there um but yes so in a couple of weeks ago uh when this aired uh two friends and i went on what i call the coaster nerd con um 2021 and we visited eight parks in eight days so Maybe maybe nine if you count Fun Spot as two, but we didn't really get to do anything at the Orlando park anyway. So we went to Fun Spot in Orlando. We went to Fun Spot in Kissimmee. We went to Sea World Orlando. Um, we went to Universal. We went to Bush Gardens in Tampa. We went to Wild Adventures, Six Flags Over Georgia, Dollywood, and Carowinds. And in that time, like I said, we rode a lot of stuff. We learned a lot of stuff, and. You know, usually on the Attraction Pros podcast here, we are here we are here to, to interview, you know, great people in the industry and talk about, you know, great ideas and things like that. And yes, this will be a bit of a nerd out uh, episode. For, for the nerds and enthusiasts out there, this one's for you. So
1: why didn't you visit Fun Spot in Atlanta?
0: It just wasn't on the agenda. <laughs> You're you know? just
1: waiting for that RMC to come, right? <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> maybe,
0: maybe. Um, you know, As much as we'd like to include every park on every trip, um, we do have to make some concessions, and we have to make you know there's there's certain time restraints. And I know there was a a Twitter thread recently. Somebody was asking you about uh, some some advice on planning these these trips. And you know you get into okay, these are the parks we want to. uh, Want to visit and then there's well there's driving time in between and you know how long do you want to drive before you stay at a hotel or do you want to drive all the way to the next park and then stay at a hotel and wake up so you can go to dollywood bright and early in the morning or whatever
1: it is so um, there's a lot of those concessions that have to be made as well so about 10 years ago uh, this was when actually speaking of uh, rmc this is when new texas giant opened at six flags over texas and uh, so it was me and, and, and a few buddies and we said, well, let's just go to Dallas. We were all living in Orlando at the time and, uh, and let's go, go ride New Texas Giant. And then we're like, well, we could fly or we could drive. It'll be a little more economical. And then it was, well, if we're gonna drive there, these are the parks along the way. And it's like, well, if we're gonna go here, this one's just a couple hours out of the way. And it's like, well, if we're already going here, this one's just a couple hours out of the way. Um, I think we did 11 parks in eight days yeah uh, and so including some of the ones on the the list that you just uh you just mentioned and uh it was you know i don't know if i could do a trip like that now it was i would say very efficient or maybe it was just very aggressive and impatient yeah. but anyway uh I would love to hear about some of the lessons that you learned on this most recent trip of yours. So where where do you want to take this? I'm completely unprepared. I have no idea what <laughs> we're going to talk about, which I'm really excited about. So you tell me where you wanna uh, where you wanna take this and where you wanna start. I first wanna start
0: with sort of an overview of the employees that we saw. Okay. Because Right now, we're talking uh, so much about our staffing issues and getting employees to work and those kind of things. And I got to say, at the parks that we went to, every single one of them, those employees were working their butts off, right? Yes, of course, there were some people that looked a little tired because of short staffing. And, and as we talked to people at just about every one of these facilities, they all talked about being uh, you know, a bit short staffed, but to see the dedication of these employees, to see how they were, you know, interacting with guests and how they were, um, you know, certainly on rides being as safe as possible, you know, that kind of thing. You you didn't see, at least I didn't see, and I was watching, you didn't see, you know, the the people that didn't care. You didn't see the people that were were just going through the motions. You know, you saw people that were, were working hard, yes, but you know, they were, they were dedicated to making the experience great for people. And um, like I said, some may have looked a little tired, but they were still, they were still given it their all. So I want to give a big shout out to all the employees at those places that we went to um, because of that, that effort. And as, as I talk about a lot, the reflection of the leadership
1: teams at those, at those facilities for, for getting those teams ready to go. Do you have any specific examples that you'd like to share? I, I was following you along on Twitter, and uh, I don't know if this fits in with this key lesson that that we're going to talk about. But I remember seeing a rainstorm and a big table umbrella that was used as a regular umbrella. And I think that was at Fun Spot. I don't remember which park it was. Um, yeah, that, but Absolutely. That, that fits in. That was at Fun Spot in
0: Orlando. And that was our first park. We arrived in, in Orlando. Uh, my buddy who flies in from Boston and I got there. And then um, one of our other friends already lives in Orlando. So we all uh, you know, got picked up at the airport and we went to Fun Spot Orlando first. And pretty much as soon as we walked in, we took a picture of ourselves in front of a you know a Fun Spot sign, which we do at every park. Pretty much five minutes after that, before we got to do anything, Monsoon in Orlando? In Orlando. Can you imagine that? So we are under this sunshade, which was doing its best to keep the rain out as well. The drains and the in the walkways were doing their absolute best to to keep up with the rain. Although there was a little bit of rain coming into the the picnic table area that we were in. We were standing on top of the picnic tables because it was just so wet and so so nasty. But what we saw was that were in the video you're referring to was there was an employee who was, who took one of the, um, like big sunshade umbrellas that they use at the go-kart track. And this was from one of the go-kart tracks at, at, um, at fun spot. And he was using it to keep guests as dry as they could be, you know, going from the, the covered go-kart queue to another area that had more, Um, uh, more covering and they could get inside and use the bathroom and that kind of thing. And he made at least five or six trips, (laughs) you know, going back and forth with this umbrella. And it was kind of interesting to watch because like I said, I think he was trying to keep them dry. I think they were already pretty wet, but the symbolism of him taking that umbrella that that's not what it was really supposed to be used for. And, you know, having, you know, guests undercover, walking them over to another space, I just thought it was a great sort of out of the box way to, um, you know, serve the guests and keep them, keep them, um, keep them dry or dry ish. Um, but it was one of those situations where you wouldn't expect to see that. Right. and And it's not something you can put in a manual. And this is actually something that I was going to talk about a little bit later, but you know, it was just this, and you know, truth be told, transparency, I don't know if somebody called him over the radio and said, hey, get one of those umbrellas and and do this, or whether it came from from his his heart. But the impression was that he was taking care of the guests in a way that was not in an SOP. This was not something you could probably train for, um, but just something that was impromptu based on the situation. And I think that's one of those situations where you know, you give the team members empowerment. You let them kind of think on their own a little bit. And not everything has to be by the book when it comes to those special circumstances or special situations. And I think it really did make a, a big impression on the the guest. Also, I will say this, I posted it on LinkedIn as well. And that's probably my most liked uh, LinkedIn post ever.
1: Wow! People are reacting to it. They thought, <laughs> this, is, this is really great. Well, what I think is interesting is that uh, it it was actually very, very simple what he did. He used an umbrella as an umbrella. But like you said, (laughs) that it was was not for its intended purpose. And it did require a little bit of thought of, okay, it's raining, it's a monsoon. It is a normal occurrence in summer in Central Florida. Umbrellas and ponchos, you can buy them over here. But if the guests are over here, well, even just getting to that one location is not going to be you know, it, it's not, not going to work to keep them dry. Right. Go-karts probably not open right now because of the weather. So here's something that can easily be transported, can be easily used as a makeshift handheld umbrella and can provide more coverage with it too. So you're right. There was definitely some, some out of the box thinking there that whether it was his idea or whether it was a suggestion, or maybe he does this every single day, I think is now something that maybe maybe wouldn't necessarily make it into an SOP, but is just, hey, here's the type of creative thinking and here's an example of what we can do to keep guests dry when it's wet out.
0: Right, well, yeah. and, and it was interesting because I was talking to um, a group of leaders recently about this and kind of sharing that experience with them as well. And, you know, we kind of got into this conversation of, well, how might this change operations, right? You know, mm. maybe they keep a bin of umbrellas over there or, or some ponchos over there at the go-kart track so that if the, if this does happen again and it's going to be, you know, just a monsoon and they want to get people out of there and keep them as dry as possible, that they have a mechanism to do that, not lifting this umbrella that, you know, if the wind caught it incorrectly, it could have gone flying and it could have, it potentially could have, um, you know, been a, been a worse situation. Luckily that didn't happen. Um, but I just wonder if that does happen daily, and we see this all the time, right? The things that are trends, the things that happen over and over again, eventually there's some sort of change in a policy or change in a procedure so that we can deal with it a little bit more effectively.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so, that's, so so. So, that's how would we categorize that? I, I just wrote down on, on my little notepad here, the employees are knocking it out of the park. And I know that that was, I, I think I wrote that down even before talking about, you know, that examples right there, but would you say, employees are finding creative solutions to standard issues and problems? I think so. Um,
0: I I would also say that, you know, it's it's, it's a bigger issue than just training, right? It's a bigger issue than just empowerment. I think there's also a recognition component where if someone does this, then they need to be recognized that this was a good thing, right? And other people Mm -hmm. need to see that that kind of thinking, that kind of, you know, over and above Exceeding expectations, type of thinking that you talk a lot about, that that has to be recognized as a good thing, so that it's encouraged with other staff members as well. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question about how to categorize that, but um, I also have another example of a, a, a crew that really went above and beyond, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. and it was the Fury crew at Carowinds. Now,
1: thought you might say that.
0: I, I was going to say, <laughs> of the Kosher's that we rode, we rode that one the most. 14 times we got to ride Fury. So we got to know the crew pretty well. What I will say about them is they were hustling the entire time, right? They were um, obviously checking things really well. They were very efficient, but they were also personable in that time. So for example, the greeter who kind of got to know us because we came up, you know, so many different times um, and he would, he would turn around and, you know, start to ask the question, how many in your group? And he's like, oh, oh, it's you guys you know, and so we kind of had a little bit of a camaraderie there. But what I really appreciated about that crew was that whoever was on the microphone, every couple of cycles, they would say, hey, let's hear it for this Fury crew. We got Josh over here on, on lap bars. We got, you know, this person over here. We got this person over here checking heights, you know, doing a great job. How about everybody give them a round of applause? And I thought that was really, really cool. Not only recognition from the the operator that was on the microphone, but now we're getting the guests into the recognition. Mm-hmm. And so they can maybe watch a little bit more about how fast and, and how well this crew is doing, which kind of amps up the the appreciation of what they're actually experiencing. That's
1: really cool. I don't think I've ever I seen that done before. Yeah. I, yeah, like you said, it, it gets the guests excited about how hard the crew is working. And, and there are some guests who are going to naturally have those observations of, wow, these employees, they're, they're sweating. They're, you know, they're yeah. moving really fast and, and safely and, and really making sure that, you know, that, uh, that the ride is operating efficiently, but being able to have kind of that extra juice of energy also probably gets the guests even more excited to ride because now that they are, uh, you know, they're, they're, also just showing more energy for themselves too. I mean, that similarly, they could say, who's excited to ride today and get that same yeah. or that same scream? Uh, and then tying it in with the employees who are there on the platform. I think that's really cool. I think getting guests excited about how hard employees are working is something that we could see more and more of.
0: Absolutely. And it's not just a, you know, hey, your employees are working hard for you. You know, there was a personalization because they use people's names. I also think because you could kind of hear the spiel a little bit before you got onto the ride platform, that it helps people that are waiting in line to to understand that the crew is working really hard. Mm -hmm. And so that even if you are waiting for a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour or whatever the wait happened to be, that the crew is going to get you on and through that attraction as quickly as possible. So, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that people don't mind waiting. They just don't want to be forgotten. And they right. don't want to um, feel like you're not working hard to get them through. But if that crew is working as fast as they possibly could, um, then then the waiting doesn't seem as bad. And I do have to say, that's one of the thing that I noticed um, about our our interactions just with employees as well and with the guests is that there were some times when we were you know, in a food line, and we've heard this on social media a lot, that there's places where you're waiting 45 minutes to wait, you know, for, for your food and things like that. And we did have one of those experiences, but the people behind the counter were hustling. They just literally didn't have enough people. Right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have enough people expediting and putting orders together. And so you had this long lineup of people that were um, you know, placing their orders and then waiting for a long time. And there was one location where it was literally from the time we got in line to the time we sat down with our food was 45 minutes. And I couldn't really fault the kitchen because I saw the, the food coming out. I couldn't fault the expediters because as quickly as possible, they were grabbing those tickets and putting those orders together. The people on the, on the counter um, uh, in the counter area, they were filling the drinks and putting those as, as fast as they possibly could. So you know, during that time, we're like, "Well, where's the breakdown? Where's the where's the pinch point?" And we okay. think it was just not enough people, you know, in that in that area to fulfill all the orders that were coming through, and that's where the that's where the pinch point was. Okay. But I also want to go back to the spiel just for a second because one of the things that you hear a lot at at a lot of different attractions are the automated spiels, right? And you hear the same message. We want to make sure that everybody hears the same message, which we've talked about before. Sometimes we tune those out because they are the same thing over and over again. But what you can't do with those automated spiels is what we just talked about at Fury, right? You can't spontaneously thank the crew or unless you can, you know, key in with a with a different microphone and a different signal. But you can't do that as much and and create the positive positivity and the, create the energy and and you know provide the recognition you can't do that with an automated spiel
1: mm-hmm. so
0: even if you have an automated spiel if you have an opportunity um, and you think that's a good idea then you know figure out a way that your operators can you know present some some bit of, of personality and and recognition to the rest of the crew yeah
1: and you know automated spiels are great for consistency you yeah. know that the message is being delivered exactly the same every single time but like you mentioned, you hear something so frequently, you start to tune it out. It's like the it's like the safety briefing, you know, on on an airplane. You know, the you know, mm-hmm. just the you know, fasten your seatbelt and you know, kind of the emergency procedures and things like that. When there is that person who is doing that. You do run the risk of there being less consistency, but the reward is you get higher engagement with it. So, obviously, it's then balancing to make sure that there's the specific bits of information that need to be communicated. You know, if if they were just thanking their crew about how hard they were working and not actually giving the safety spiel, that would be a big problem. But once you've covered all the necessary information to be able to layer in the components. Um, can be very helpful, impactful, and frankly, just more fun and more interesting mm-hmm. and more engaging. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned uh, was about uh, the long lines, but the employees who were who were hustling, and that there wasn't necessarily any any pitch point. There were just maybe more guests than there, you know, guest to employee ratio, or maybe maybe not enough staff. But seeing those employees working really hard to fulfill those F and B orders, or for the the ride crew moving through. Uh, shows the guest that efficiency is being maximized or or Mm -hmm. optimized. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I talk about guests' expectations a lot, I talk about guests expect efficiency. They expect that a queue will be efficient. That doesn't mean that they expect that the queue will be short, but that they expect that it's not going to be any longer than it must be because everything is running on all cylinders, I, and, and the closest example I can think of was a visit to a park that I had many years ago with my family, where my dad and I rode a roller coaster, and and we got off, and you know we were asking how how long the wait time was, and and my dad said you know it was about forty five minutes, but. I don't think we ever stood still mm. at any point. And so even if you're waiting in a 45-minute line, which can be considered long by many standards, seeing that the queue keeps moving and that you're not just parked there, especially if it's not under a sunshade or you know, if it's, a, you know, if it's a hot day or if it's raining or whatever it is, uh, you don't feel like you're you don't feel like you're waiting as long as you would be if it was a 45 minute line that could have been substantially shorter if there was uh, better operations that were happening at that time.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a, that's a really great point that our, our um, what's the word? Perception of weight Perception, time? thank you. A perception of time, you know, really does have to do with our comfort. So mm-hmm. if we're standing and our feet are planted, that gets uncomfortable, right? Or if we're standing and the sun is beating down on our heads, right? That gets uncomfortable. Um, you know, if, if there's people around us that are, you know, creating more heat in the, in the queue because we're going back and forth now, we're not, we're not distancing anymore, right? That becomes uncomfortable. So whenever you have something that alleviates that discomfort, even if it's taking a step or a little bit of a breeze um, or a sunshade or whatever it is, um, and then when you get to the platform and you see that people are hustling, the weight doesn't seem that bad, really, right? I also have to say that one of my observations, especially during that food and beverage um, experience where it was forty five minutes, that most of the people, most of the guests that I observed, were kind of okay with it, right? There wasn't a lot of you know, eye rolling and you know being upset and yelling at people. I think part of that is that, you know, one of the, one of the registers was, was um, there was a manager on one of the registers and there was also a manager back in the expediter position. Um, and so I only saw a couple of people like going, oh, you know, and, and like vis- visibly sighing and, and kind of being a little upset that it was taking so long. But everybody else seemed pretty darn patient.
1: It reminds me of an experience I had a few days ago. As uh, my my wife and I were driving home, we went to go visit, um, you know, her her parents, her family for a week, and we stopped at a Wendy's, and we had basically the exact opposite of what you just described. <laughs> I, you know, I I arrived clearly during shift change. I actually looked. I was like, oh, it's exactly three o'clock. So the swarm of employees are all clocking in at the register, and then after a few minutes, somebody goes, "Hey, has this guy been helped yet?" And I'm like, "Nope." Have it, and then ordered my food and stood there for much longer than I feel like I should have, and was able to watch the employees not do very much. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, it wasn't forty five minutes, but I don't think it was that much less than that. Uh, but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but but yeah, the the sense of the employees' level of of hustle and committed to the operations makes the wait time feel much shorter. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think you just kind of encapsulated part of that with that word hustle, Mm -hmm. right? So I think the the hustle is what made our experience better, whether that was a shorter wait or just seeing that they were as excited and working as hard as they could to make sure we had a good time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what's the next one? The next one, you may have seen this on social media as well. Did you know that the Cookie Monster
1: has feet? I'll be completely honest, I've never considered uh, whether the Cookie Monster has feet or not. I figure if he's a character who can walk around, he must have some sort of lower appendage that (laughs) allows him to, he doesn't walk on all fours, you know. Right, yeah tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) That was my exact impression
0: and part of the lesson that I take away from this, but uh, to kind of, to kind of set the stage, we were at SeaWorld and they have a Sesame Street area and Cookie Monster is one of my favorite Sesame Street characters. And I saw um, a, a statue, of Cookie Monster and he had a cookie. So I had to take a selfie with Cookie Monster and, and the cookie and everything. And then I looked down and of course it's a statue in real life not the Cookie Monster that you see on TV, right? Where you never see the lower part of his body. It's true, they are puppets. They are puppets. So I looked down at the ground and I even took a picture of this. I thought, huh, Cookie Monster has feet. And it just just hit me in such a weird way. And it was so funny because uh, we met up later with a guy named Damon Tomasi who actually redesigned my website. So a little plug for him. but he said great website was, by the way what's that it's a great website by thank the way thank you very much <laughs> um, but i uh, but he said i want to see how matt heller's brain works in a theme park right and i said well this is it you know cookie monster has feet and i'm going to i'm going to you know take some lesson away from that and what it is is exactly what you just said i never considered that because i didn't know or didn't even think about that when you think about the cookie monster i never thought about that cuz that's not something i see and the, the thing I kind of took away from that was, how many situations do we go into or how many people do we interact with that we either judge or make a decision on without having all of the information? Or with with even, even with a guest, we're trying to um, solve a guest problem, we're trying to solve a team member problem. How often do we not take in everything with that situation into account before making a decision so that really refocused me as i'm dealing with clients or i'm dealing with a, a guest someplace or i'm just dealing with people in general is really taking everything in and trying to get as much information as possible before making a decision or making a judgment and that all came from the fact that somebody made a statue of the cookie monster
1: with feet can you now take that lesson and apply it to something that is, uh, you, I don't want to say real world because that implies that Cookie Monster is not in the real world. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother conversation. Anyway, yeah. something that, that you're able to now tie it back into whether it's you working with clients or whether it's leaders working with employees Absolutely. or employees
0: working with guests. Absolutely. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, as I'm working with a client, I want to know as much about their operation and what's going on with their... Um, Uh, with their company as I can before I start to um, prescribe a solution, right? So somebody might come to me and say, hey, we have a guest service problem, or hey, we have a communication problem. And it's great that they have recognized that there's some sort of problem somewhere, but part of my job is to figure out, is it really a guest service issue or is it a leadership issue, right? Is it a communication issue because people don't want to communicate or do they not have the tools and the resources to be able to effectively communicate with one another? Or what are the, what are the other underlying factors, right? What are are the, what are the the cookie monster feet that I'm looking for (laughs) to put it in the guest perspective? And I, used to do this all the time until I kind of learned better was when you are dealing with a guest, for example, that has a concern or an issue to me, it gets back to listening to learn versus listening to respond. Right. Mm -hmm. And I found that as I would hear the same complaint over and over again, I would listen just to respond. I would just be waiting for that guest to stop talking so that I could tell them exactly what I had told the last 10 guests or whatever it was. Right. But when I really listened, started to learn, to listen, to learn, and I listened more with an open mind, and I was actually taking in what they were saying, I wasn't solving the wrong problem, which I had been in the past, right? Um, I was actually taking in everything of that situation, maybe asking some clarifying questions so that I could figure out what truly is the issue so I could figure out truly what is the right solution.
1: Got it, that makes sense. Yeah, because otherwise you might be giving, even if it's the right solution being given the wrong way, phrased the wrong way that maybe the guest doesn't uh, perceive it in the way that you intended if you're just listening to respond. Uh, So thank you for sharing that. So take everything in before before giving a response or making a judgment call or never considering whether Cookie Monster does (laughs) or does not have feet. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, and I actually have a follow-up question for you on that because when we look at serving the guests, and I know you work with a lot of organizations on doing that and exceeding expectations. Don't we first have to know what those expectations are before we can exceed them. So I think that's kind of a real world example, but also when we look at different organizations, you know, whether it's a zoo aquarium, a theme park, or a family entertainment center, you've got to now tailor that to a different set of expectations. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that might be, you know, in, in, in terms of what we're talking about now, what kind of shoes Cookie Monster is wearing, right? <laughs> so, so I'm curious from your standpoint, how do you then customize that or figure out how to, how to um, look at that from a different perspective
1: based on a different guest need or want? Sure, so let's look at a couple of examples that you've given already. Let's talk about the guest expects efficiency. So when you are riding fury, seeing the staff with that hustle and maybe calling each other out for for their great work and building the energy on the platform. So you get, you know, everyone's, you know, their their hearts are pumping, you know, and and getting really excited about it. uh, That works very, very well in that environment. If you were to go to a botanic garden and you would expect the same level of efficiency of getting through, it might be in more of a tranquil tone. Maybe more of the efficiency is having happening back of house versus right in front of your face. Uh, so if you go there and see the fury crew getting people through the arboretum or a butterfly garden with the same vigor and level of energy, it's going to have a disconnect of the guest experience because they are expecting a more relaxing environment when visiting with their ninety-year-old grandparents and pushing a stroller around, or, or whatever, it, you know, it, it might just be a, a, a different, different expectation or a different way that the guest perceives a similar type of expectation.
0: Right, and so organizations can be just as focused on guest service or just as focused on efficiency, but it might be different based on the experience that they're providing. Exactly, would you say, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. yeah, and and you also kind of touched on this. I would also tie this again back to employees because. We may be making decisions as leaders that we think are efficient because we're making a decision that impacts the entire team, but half of that team may, you know, have a negative reaction to that decision. And I'm not saying every decision we have, we make has to be, you know vetted and and approved by everybody but you know it could have a a negative ramification that we don't even know about or you know let's go back to my favorite topic of generations right Mm -hmm. and if we treat every generation the exact same or every person is the same then we're really missing out on those individual um, characteristics and again, that's where, you know, taking in the entire person, if one person is having trouble getting to work on time and another person is having trouble getting to work on time, they may have two very different reasons why they're having trouble getting to work on time. And so to just say that we're going to, you know, enact this one policy to affect everybody, that may actually not work as well. So mm-hmm. we're not taking into those into consideration those,
1: those hideous, idiosyncrasies of every single employee. I can't believe you got all of that. From Cookie Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're still on that. <laughs> That's how my brain works. That is how Matt Heller's brain works in a theme park. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I've got another one for okay. you. So there's another
0: takeaway. So this was our first trip to Six Flags Over, Georgia. Okay. Never been there. Have you been there?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was on the
0: trip I took 10 years ago. That's the only okay. time. Then <laughs> you were supposed to go from Orlando to Texas and you made it up to Atlanta? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Very nice. <laughs> Those kind of trips. Yeah. Um, we had never been there before. Okay. Um, I had been in a backstage area uh, talking to their team at, at one point, but I had never actually been in the park while it was operational. And one of the things I walked away from with that park or visiting that park is it's very unique, uh, at least in the, in the layout, you know, based on other six flags and things like that. And there's an area where I was quite frankly, a little surprised, but in a, in a very positive way with all of the mature trees that had grown up and it was very shady and it was a really not, I mean, shady in a good way. Like you could stand under shade, not, not slim shady way. And it was, it was just in such a nice feel in that part of the park. And there, you could tell there were, there were some elements of the park that, you know, were kind of quote unquote, grew up with the park and they were kind of original. And um, I know it was one of the original Six Flags parks, but it really, when I walked away from that park, I said, you know, in my mind, again, not to judge every park based on, you know, in a chain, for example, based on one experience. So I couldn't go to Six Flags over Georgia and say, I know something about all Six Flags parks, right? Mm -hmm. Just like I couldn't go to Disney World and say, I know something about Disneyland, about how they operate. So it's, I mean, it's a little bit of the Cookie Monster thing, don't judge, you know, until you have all the information, but um, I was really impressed by what that park looked like, the, the, the ride selection, um, and really, we really had a great time there. So I think that was my big takeaway is don't judge one thing, even though it may have a similar name or a similar, um, you may think it's the same, it's not until you've got boots on the ground and you can actually see it for yourself.
1: So it's an interesting lesson, it's a good takeaway from you as both a guest visiting Six Flags over Georgia, having visited other Six Flags parks before, and also you as a practitioner, a professional in the, in the industry that you know this is, this is in your blood. What about for your average guest who, who would visit Six Flags over Georgia and now take that shaded area of the park and make an assumption that if they go to Great Adventure or if they go to Magic Mountain, that it is going to be exactly the same. Do you think that that can cause any? And we're using that shaded area just as as one example. There, mm-hmm. can that cause uh, a disconnect if someone makes that assumption and then goes to another property that is not an exact cookie cutter replica?
0: I think there's a couple things in that question that that come to mind. First of all, if you are going to Six Flags Great America or Six Flags Magic Mountain, and you're expecting the same thing, the exact same cookie cutter experience that you would get at Six Flags over Georgia, why would you go to those places? Why not just stay in in Georgia and go to Six Flags over Georgia, right? Um, So to me, doing the exact same, you know, getting that that cookie cutter experience and maybe that's just me I, I would not look for that i would want something a little different something that had some some local flair or something different some different rides and things like that um, but i do think that on a on a scale where people may not be as familiar with how different the properties can be they will see six flags they may see um, you know disney or universal and expect something very very similar so I don't know if shade is one of those examples, maybe service or the quality of food or the quality of rides, maybe. I could be wrong. Maybe somebody sees those trees and thinks, hey, this every, every park's going to be like this. Every Six Flags is going to have these wonderful mature trees. I don't know that people necessarily think about the, the shade part of it. Um, but if you go to Six Flags over Georgia and you ride Goliath there, and then you go to... Um, Magic Mountain and ride Goliath there, right? Two different coasters, two different experiences, but the same name, right? You may think, oh, it's the same ride. To me, again, I'll, I'll just make, keep it personal. I'd be excited that, that they were different because again, I don't want the, the cookie cutter experience. Is, is that going to deter from my experience if I go someplace and it's not exactly the same as some as, as another place? I think from a from a a guest perspective, if it, if the, if the experience is less and I've built it up to my friends, like, Hey, I've been to six flags over Georgia. If we go to six flags, great adventure, it's going to be great because my six flags experience was great over here. And then it's not that's, that's a reflection on me, or at least I feel it is. And then, and then I feel like I'm, I've disappointed my friends because I've recommended something to them that didn't, didn't meet their, the expectation that I set as a, as a, as a friend.
1: Does that make sense? It, it does. It, it reminds me, you know, many years ago when I, when I worked in guest communications at Universal, that every now and then very, I mean, very rare would this instance happen where we would get a complaint that there was no backlot tour at Universal Studios Florida, uh, or that there, there weren't enough like special effects demonstrations. And it's like, Yes, that's what you're used to in Hollywood. But this is this is there's two parks here. There's I mean there's uh, hotels here. You know, there's you know uh, you know a, a difference of attractions and you know and, and things like that. And I think that the maybe the the takeaway from that is that the benefits of those differences or those unique attributes vastly outweigh the number of guests who will feel that as a service failure, that those might come up, but they're probably few and far between, unless it's, uh, you know, I mean, you know, unless it's something that is one of the big anchors. If you go to a Six Flags Park, you expect DC Comics. So if there's no reference to Superman, then yeah, you're going to, you're, you're going to be disappointed maybe because that's, you know, that influence one of the reasons, you, you know, that you went. Um, and maybe ultimately, these are just things to keep in mind that perhaps maybe a guest has visited another similar type of venue and we need to find the best way to invite them in and welcome them into a familiar environment and introduce them to what makes this specifically special and different than what they've seen before.
0: Right, right. Well, and I think about, you know, different Six Flags parks or Cedar Fair parks because they are so spread out around the country. That again, if I go to a Six Flags park in Atlanta, I want a different experience in California. I want mm-hmm. a different experience when I go to the one in Chicago, Cedar Fair. I want a different experience at Dorney Park versus Valley Fair versus Cedar Point, because again, I think a, a lot of the a lot of what they will look for is the kind of the local flair, the local feature. You know, so you might have a different food outlet that's local to that um, particular region and, and things like that, where. Um, You know, you may not have that at some place that can't, you know, you know, bring people in from, from, you know, different locations. So, I mean, to me, that's, that's something I look, I look for, but to your point, if I go into a Cedar Fair park and it's clean and the people are friendly, then I would want that same thing at every Cedar Fair park, Mm -hmm. right? If I go into Six Flags and it's clean and people are friendly and the food's really good that's what I want at all the Six Flags parks. Right. So I think from that level of expectation, you know, you you get to, you, you get kind of the 30,000 foot view of the experience, right? Which is kind of the anticipation and super excited. And then you get boots on the ground, right? And now you're walking through the park and you're thinking about, okay, what's the next ride I'm going to go to? And, oh my gosh, it's hot and I'm sweating. And, you know, then the, the, the experience becomes much more micro and much more personal Um, and then you start to think about okay it's not just this this um nebulous experience that i'm talking about it's what i'm actually doing right now sure
1: yeah. You know when you mentioned the the shaded area, you know with with the large aging trees at Over Georgia, what it actually reminded me of was Cypress Gardens at Legoland Florida. That you can go to any Legoland park in the world and there's many of them now, but only one of them has Cypress Gardens and that, yes. you know, that giant banyan tree and uh and those unique elements of it. If you went to Legoland Florida and then you went to Legoland California expecting there to be Cypress Gardens there, that that it would be that it would be that disconnect unless you knew that it was unique and very special in that specific location. So, right. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's where expectations come in. Right. right. So if the guest did, you know, a little bit of research and looked on their websites, they would see that their attraction mix is, is different and there's different offerings. Um, but some people may not do that. Right. You may just show right. up to Legoland California thinking it's going to be the same.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Good. Good. Cool. Yeah. I've got a couple more. Okay, let's do it. I took away. Um, One of them has to do with something you mentioned earlier, which is tone of voice. And how important, you're like, did I say that? (laughs) I don't remember saying that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How important tone of voice is, especially when you're telling someone that they can't do something or that something is not available. And I've got two examples that I want to share with you. One one was from one of the larger... um, park operators. And the other side of the coin is actually from one of the smaller parks that we went to. So the first one was we were, um, first of all, we experienced a lot of weather delays. I think in seven of the eight days, we had a weather delay at one of the parks. So at this one particular park, there was an attraction that we wanted to experience. And we went up to the attendant and we said, you know, it was during a, a weather delay, so nothing was open, or at least not not anything outside. And we said, if we get in, if this reopens, and we get in line before the park closes, will we be able to ride? Mm-hmm. And this, you know, paraphrase was the response: the ride is not operational right now. We suggest that you go find something else that is indoors. We cannot uh, anticipate when the ride will reopen uh, because of weather. You know that. I know that. And he didn't answer my question. Right. Right. So I said, so I kind of let him finish his spiel. I was getting a little, little, you know, you're saying he was listening to respond. Yeah. He wasn't even listening. (laughs) (laughs) So I said to him, I said, I said, okay, can we, if we get in line before the park closes, will we get on? Yes. Okay. And then we walked away. And so my friends and I, of course, had this conversation about that was terrible and awful Awful tone of voice, yada yada yada. So let's flip to the other side. That was one of the larger operators. I won't, I won't say which one. Then we get to, and I will say this one because it was a really good example. Wild Adventures in Baldosta, mm-hmm. Georgia, mm-hmm. and it was in the afternoon, and we wanted to get some ice cream. So there was a dip and Dot stand, um, kind of to our left, if we're kind of walking through the, the midway to our left, and then to the right there was a full um, stand where you know you go in advertised hard ice cream, the whole milkshakes, the whole nine yards. And so I said, I'm going to go in there into the, to the ice cream place just to see what they got, what flavors they have in the whole nine yards. Otherwise we'll get some Dippin' Dots. So I walk in and as soon as I walk in, I'm greeted by this big smile, right? From the, from the team member behind the counter. Hi, how are you? I'm great. She goes, I'm so sorry. She says, we can't serve ice cream right now. I don't have any gloves, right? She goes, I'm, we're getting gloves in just a minute. We've got somebody coming um, so I can serve serve the ice cream. But right now I can't serve you ice cream because we don't have any gloves. There is a dip and Dots stand right next door if you'd like to get that. But if you want to wait, you can wait for us to get some gloves. And I walked away from that thinking, well, first of all, I'm glad that she had the integrity not to serve without gloves, right? So number one. Uh, but number two, just her, her attitude when she told me I couldn't do something, there was empathy there. There was, um, you know, a recognition that this was probably not what I wanted to hear, but she did it in such a positive way that I was like, okay, sounds good to me, you know? So we did go get Dippin' Dots because we were, you know, impatient to go ride, ride more rides. Didn't want to wait for the gloves. <laughs> exactly. But but just, just the difference in, in the way that those two situations were handled. And to me, it really came down to tone of voice. So then my next question is, where does that tone of voice come from, right? So when someone is saying the same thing over and over again, and they, they have that sort of that monotone spiel versus the person who's actually showing some empathy, if we kind of back up and again, we'll bring it back to Cookie Monster's you know, feet, where does that really come from? Um, that was the question that I walked away with. You know, is this coming from, from leadership and, and, you know, telling people that they have to say something, you know, a certain thing every single time or are, are people being more empowered to say whatever, you know, comes naturally, but is, is conveying the same message?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think it also... It not only does it go back to Cookie Monster's feet, but I think it also goes back to the crew at Fury as well and taking away the auto spiel and saying, hey, you've got the personalization in the microphone and and make sure you get the safety messages across and then have your personality and your personal tone with it. So it it really is about setting setting the parameters. Uh, That girl needed to tell you that she couldn't serve ice cream because she was waiting on gloves. Uh, the other attendant needed to tell you that the attraction was closed due to the weather. But those were vastly different experiences that you had while being told no. You walked away a little a little miffed by one of them and totally fine from the other one. And. Uh, you're right. The the tone, it's not just the words you say, it's, it's how you say it. And you mentioned the word empathy. She felt bad that she couldn't sell you ice cream or that she, you know, that she couldn't serve it to you and told you what you could do as an alternative. Yeah. uh, Which the, which the ride attendant did not because he had, he had his, he had his auto spiel pre-programmed to, you know, ready to deliver. When you came up, you ask him the question is just you hitting the play button on him for him to
0: say right. the auto spiel.
1: Uh, yeah. So it's, it's here's the information you need to communicate, but the way you communicate it is all about you and your personality and your tone and your empathy in being able to do that. So again, kind of a question back to you, when you are talking
0: to people about providing guest service and responding to these kind of questions, how do you portray or how do you encourage people to not be the auto spiel, right? Mm-hmm. And, and figure out kind of where that comes from. Is it a personal thing? Is that they've said the same thing too often? Are they being, you know, hammered in with a, with a specific spiel? Like, so what, what is it from your standpoint that you see that's really effective and that could lead to the ice cream example, not the ride attendant example?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, what's funny actually, is that if you develop empathy into your auto spiel, you can give that rote memorization in the same tone that you know has actually been effective. So that girl may tell people every single time there are not gloves, a bit that's a bad example for that. But I, you know, if, if we were to use the weather delay example and to say uh, you know the, the attraction is closed. You can, you can say the exact same thing every single time if you were to say, yeah, I, I know you're really looking forward to writing it. I really hope that we're able to, to open it back up when the weather does clear. Here is what you're able to do right now. If you memorize that and hit play on it, and then now you incorporate your, your body language and your eye contact into it, and if it feels like it's the first time you've ever said it, at least the, the guest senses that, then you absolutely should build that into your routine. Does that make sense? Right. It's, yeah. it's okay. If it's an auto spiel, otherwise you are, you know, trying to you know reinvent the wheel every single time with how do I communicate with this guest? Once you have that down, you hit that play button, but it doesn't look or feel like you're just hitting that play button. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's the difference
0: between hitting a play button on a, on a, mp3 right that's just going to play versus hitting the play button on augmented reality right sure. that can that can shift and go different ways um which the human brain can right mm-hmm. um so when i asked about that ride being open or closed or if i could get in line you know first of all listen to the actual question that i'm at I'm, I'm asking right and, and answer that question <laughs> that, that would be the first part but the second part is even if you are doing your kind of pre-recorded auto spiel. Like you said, if you can look into my eyes, which by the way, now that I think about it, he wasn't, he wasn't even looking at me when he said it. Um, If you can do that, then you can probably see me going. And if you're just listening to the podcast, I just rolled my eyes. So if you can see the guest doing that, that you know, that your response is not hitting home. Right. Right. So maybe I need to hit the reset button and think, did I actually hear what this person had to say? Right. Right. Am yeah. I actually solving the right problem there? So, right. yeah. So to me, the the lesson was really about tone. Um, mm. And again, where does that come from? Where, where does a person's tone come from? Um, because sure. I think that's a good good question for leaders to ask themselves. If, if they hear a, a team member that is monotone like that and just kind of going through the motions versus a team member that is um you know showing empathy and and, and really reading the guest um i think that there's different leadership interventions that we can we can take on that would, would help um in those situations absolutely yep. sounds good yep. cool yep. all right so you, have, you have one more i have one more okay let's do it this is kind of related to that um one of my big takeaways from this entire trip um, was that you can find great guest service anywhere. Right? So often I hear people say that, "Well, we don't have the budget of a Disney or a Universal or a Sea World or whatever to incentivize our employees or to, you know, to train, you know, to put our employees through this great training." Some of the best service and the examples that we've talked about tonight or today were from Wild Adventures, Valdosta, Georgia, not a huge park and also Fun Spot, right? Again, not a huge park. So there's something that those leadership teams are doing right to inspire people to perform in that way. Now, I'm not saying that the big boys didn't have good service. I'm just saying you don't have to be a Universal, a Disney or a SeaWorld to provide great service. And I started this whole thing by saying, you know, the employees were working really hard. And sometimes that was just being efficient. Sometimes it was being efficient and being hospitable. Um, And again, I think in all those parks, you know, we could go through each one of them and I could tell you specific situations where we had great service in different places. So again, it can happen everywhere. But I think the big takeaway, the big message is that you don't have to be a a Disney or Universal to be able to provide great service.
1: You just have to have the heart to do it. I 100% agree. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) not too much to add to that (laughs) either. You know, I mean, it's so much that you can do from a service standpoint is completely free. And it's it's about attitude and it's about the desire for the guest to have a positive experience. Absolutely.
0: And I think if that starts with your leadership team, and then that trickles down into your staff because they're hearing it all the time and a, and a very consistent message about that. And then they are doing it for your guests and then they're being recognized for it. Or maybe they're, they're getting some corrective feedback if they're not doing it so well. That's, that's the formula, right? Mm-hmm. And incentives and, and things, rewards and things like that can be nice things on top of that. But that's the meat and potatoes. That's the foundation sure. that, that, that'll get you there. And that doesn't cost you any money. Exactly. Yeah. Cool.
1: I have seven takeaways from this conversation. Wow. All right. What are they? The, the, the list? I mean, I, I know that you also have them listed down too, but I can I can give you my interpretation, see if they sync up. Would love it. I, first of all, as employees are knocking it out of the park and they are finding creative issues to solve normal problems, like pulling a big sunshade umbrella to use as a normal umbrella to transport guests to a drier area. Get your guests excited about your employees. There's the Fury Crew giving shout outs to their team members about how great they are hustling and getting the guests energized, not just to ride, but also to show appreciation for the staff. Efficiency makes long lines feel short. This also has to do with the Fury Crew or even that food and beverage stand that, yeah, it might be a long line, but if you see that the employees are truly optimizing their efficiency, then it makes it feel shorter. Take everything in before making a judgment call, AKA cookie monster has feet. <laughs> Don't even <laughs> get all the facts, get all the information first before making that decision or, or making that response. Uh, differences in experiences across similar locations. That's where the shaded area at over Georgia comes in. Uh, empathy versus rote memorization along with your tone of voice can really impact what it is that you are saying to your guests or to your employees as well even if it is bad news or information that maybe the guest doesn't want to hear the recipient doesn't want to hear and you can find great guest service anywhere you don't need a billion dollar guest service training budget or incentive program to provide a great experience to your guests you just need uh, a genuine desire to do it and leadership who foster, fosters that culture. Very well done. Very Thank well you. done. Yeah. So <laughs> you were listening to learn. I was, and yes. well, I learned a lot. I learned seven
0: <laughs> things today. <laughs> what What's the most important thing you learned? Cookie monsters
1: feet. What? Absolutely, Cookie. Monster. <laughs> um, you know, I think I I really liked the one about getting your guests excited about your employees. And I, I think that that can be something that, uh, you know, we we probably don't see too often, not to say we never see it, but I think that that's something that uh, can very easily be infused. I'll use that word again. I used it on the last podcast too, you into your operation very seamlessly. And it elevates both the employee experience and the guest experience with really no negative outcome unless you are doing that in place of any of those other expectations that mm-hmm. guests have. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's, that that's a really cool one. Awesome. So,
0: well, yeah. thank you for letting me
1: nerd out and kind of recap some of the, uh, the lessons from CNC21. Thank you for nerding out. And you now have made me even more jealous about about uh, riding roller coasters and I look forward to ending my drought before this episode even airs really really excited for that uh and maybe I'll come up with some lessons on my upcoming trips too I don't know if they would take up a full podcast or I don't know if I would have seven of them but maybe it's been a while since I've been to a park since I've ridden a ride uh but in the meantime for everyone out there who is watching and listening just remember we are all attraction pros thanks for listening to the attraction pros podcast Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.